Worldwide, cardiovascular disease affects the lives of hundreds of millions. Dedicated cardio nerds everywhere are working hard to fight this global epidemic. These are their stories. Hey, Cardio Nerds family, it's Dan Amender here. Join us again for this novel adventure as we journey through the maze of clinical practice guidelines. In this series, Decipher the Guidelines, we will take a deep dive into the 2021 ESC Cardiovascular Prevention Guidelines, focusing on similarities and differences from the American guidelines. This is a collaboration between the Cardio Nerds, the ACC Prevention of Cardiovascular Disease Section, the National Lipid Association, and the Preventive Cardiovascular Nurse Association, developed with mentorship from Dr. Eugene Yang. And remember, Cardio Nerds is a fellow-founded, independent educational platform. The views expressed here do not necessarily reflect the opinions or policies of our employers. Do be a nerd and spread the word on social media and help others find us by rating and reviewing the show on your favorite podcast platform. And hey, hope you're enjoying the intro music, custom mix for Cardio Nerds by student Dr. Hirsch Elhetz, aka DJ Elhetz, medical student at USC and Cardio Nerds Academy intern of House Thomas. And with that, it's time to get nerdy. The following question refers to section 4.6 and figure 13 of the 2021 ESC Cardiovascular Prevention Guidelines. The question is asked by student Dr. Shivani Reddy, answered first by NP Carol Patrick, and then by expert faculty Dr. Roger Blumenthal. Dr. Roger Blumenthal is professor of medicine at Johns Hopkins, where he is the director of the Chicaroni Center for the Prevention of Cardiovascular Disease. He was instrumental in developing the 2018 ACC AHA Cardiovascular Prevention Guidelines. So for our question today, we've got a true or false. For patients with established ASCVD, secondary prevention entails adding a PCSK9 inhibitor if goal LDL is not met on maximum tolerated doses of a statin and acetamide. So we've got a 50-50 shot here. Carol, is it going to be true or is this going to be false? Well, thank you, Shivani, for posing that. Okay, so true or false? 50-50, 50-50. The correct answer is true. Why is it true? Because the ultimate on-treatment LDLC goal of less than 55 milligrams per deciliter or less than 1.5 millimoles per liter and a reduction of at least greater than 50% from baseline should be considered for primary prevention. In those patients less than 70 years of age, at very high risk is a class 2A recommendation. And in those patients with established ASCVD, it's a class 1 recommendation. So it is recommended that a high-intensity statin is prescribed up to the highest tolerated dose to reach these LDLC goals, also a class 1 recommendation in the ESC guidelines. The combination of statin with azetamab brings a benefit that is in line with meta-analysis showing the LDLC reduction has benefits independent of the approach used. So looking further at azetamab, the beneficial effects of it is also supported by genetic studies. Together, these data support the position that azetamab should be considered as second-line therapy either on top of a statin when the therapeutic goal is not achieved, a class 1 recommendation, or when a statin cannot be prescribed, that would be a 2A recommendation. And we all know those situations when that has to happen, and we'll get into that a little further on. The PCSK9 inhibitors, also monoclonal antibodies to PCSK9, decrease LDLC by up to 60%. Startling, startling statistic, either as monotherapy or in addition to the maximum tolerated dose of a statin and or other lipid-lowering therapies such as azetamibe. 
Their efficacy appears to be largely independent of background therapies. In combination with high-intensity or maximum-tolerated statins, alirucumab and evolucumab reduced LDLC by 46 to 73% more than placebo. Wow. Again, 46 to 73% more than placebo and by 30% more than azetamide. Among patients in whom statins cannot be prescribed, the PCSK9 inhibition reduced LDLC levels when administered in combination with azetamide. Both alirucumab and evolucumab effectively lower LDLC levels in patients who are at high or very high cardiovascular disease risk, including those with diabetes mellitus with a large reduction in future ASCVD events. So with that in mind, those who do not meet LDLC goals with maximally tolerated doses of both a statin and azetamide, combination therapy includes a PCSK9 inhibitor may be considered for primary prevention of patients at very high risk, but without familial hypercholesterolemia, which is a class 2A recommendation, and is recommended for secondary prevention for those with established ASCVD class 1 recommendation. In addition, for very high-risk familial hypercholesterolemia patients, that is, with ASCVD or with another major risk factors who do not achieve their goals on a maximum tolerated dose of a statin and azetamide, combination therapy, including a PCSK9 inhibitor, is recommended, class 1 recommendation. So our main takeaways is that statins, azetamide, and PCSK9 inhibitors should be used in a stepwise approach to achieve a target lipid-lowering goal in accordance with their risk profile. Again, a stepwise fashion to achieve that target goal. I'm going to hand this over to our expert, Dr. Roger Blumenthal, to comment about discussing some statin intolerance situations escalation with azetamab and PCSK9s, and what are some upcoming therapies or what do we have highlights looking towards the future for us? Well, thanks a lot. That was a great discussion. And folks, I think I'll point everyone to a really nice review article that one of the stars of the Osler Medical Service, David Feldman, was first author on, and I was senior author. And, and that was in the American Society of Preventive Cardiology back in November of 2020. So 2020, we were in the pandemic, and David's article dealt with same evidence, varying viewpoints, Three questions illustrating important differences between the U.S. and European cholesterol guideline recommendations. And keep in mind that the U.S. guidelines, we tried to base them so much on the clinical trials as opposed to the European guidelines, which did a little bit more extrapolation. So you may wonder, where did that minus 55 come from? Well, it came from a few different lines of evidence. One was the Fourier study with evolocumab that basically compared an LDL of 30 versus 70 and found a relative risk reduction of 15 to 20%, depending on the endpoint. And then there was the Improve It trial, which used azetamide, back published, I believe, in 2015. And that compared an LDL of 70 versus 54. There was quite a fair amount of dropout in the azetamide group. And the one trial LDL was 54. And essentially what we saw was a relative risk reduction of 7%. 
And you may say, well, that doesn't sound like very much. But if you looked at the people with the higher risk factor group, the absolute risk reduction was more like uh, 6%. And there really wasn't any benefit seen in the lower risk group. So we have the Fourier study, we have the IMPROVE-IT trial, and then we have meta-analyses that had been done. And they all sort of said, well, less than 55 seems desirable. Now, the disagreement between some of the American authors and the European authors involves the healthcare economics. The European guidelines seem to say, well, you don't really need to start with azetamibe first. You could actually go from maximally tolerated statin right to a PCSK9 inhibitor. We have these discussions in our U.S. guideline, AHAACC guideline, and we said, well, Zetamib's generic. A PCSK9 inhibitor at the time was about $11,000, and then after our cholesterol guidelines came out, the companies reduced it to $5,500 because we said they lacked uh, long-term cost-effectiveness data. So, you know, I think you have to keep in mind the cost and access constraints And it's very reasonable to go uh, maximally tolerated statin. Everyone uh, agrees with that. And my recommendation is generally to add azetamibe next. We expect a 20 to 25% reduction. Some people a little bit less, some people a little bit more. And I think all of us who see a lot of patients find that some insurance companies put up more roadblocks to getting uh, PCSK9 inhibitors covered at a reasonable price. And then people also have to deal with the donut hole later in the year. Now, Carolyn mentioned about what's coming down the pike. And now we have a new option that a lot of us will be able to be dealing with. And that's called an glycerin, which will be essentially an injection given in a healthcare provider's office, a clinic or a hospital, probably about twice a year. So that will also allow us to lower LDL by 60%. And for people who were concerned about staying on the medication or maybe not filling their prescriptions, this may be a very, very reasonable option. So I think in essence, folks, we have a lot to pick from. We'll always try to use the generic high-intensity statin, typically atorvastatin or resuvastatin. The American guidelines favor always going next to azetamibe. And then if you still can't get down to your target number, which in the U.S. guidelines is less than 70 and the European guidelines less than 55, then give strong consideration of a PCSK9 inhibitor. But always remember the end of those ABCs where we have the D and E for diet and weight and exercise. And for many people, if you really work on improving those things, you might actually be able to get your LDLs down another 15 or 20%, which would mean that you really don't need to use a PCSK9 inhibitor nearly as frequently as you might have thought. That's really amazing to learn, Dr. Blumenthal. It's really great to hear about sort of the history and progression of these therapies and also understand the differences between the European and American guidelines. And also, it's really exciting to see that we have these upcoming new therapies with a lot of promise and a lot of possibility in helping our patients achieve great lipid-lowering target levels. (laughs) 